0: Welcome
1: to RN.FM, Nursing Unleashed, where every Monday night, nurse bloggers Kevin Ross, Keith Carlson, and Anna Morrison bring you ultra-informative interviews with the top thought leaders in nursing, healthcare, and entrepreneurship. Join us every week for the latest strategies for nursing success from top nursing consultants, business owners, coaches, authors, speakers, and bloggers. It's never been easier to learn how to succeed as a nurse. Welcome to an eye-opening experience you won't find anywhere else. Anywhere else.
2: Anywhere else. Good evening and welcome to RNFM Radio. We're so excited you're here with us tonight. We've got a great show on deck Tonight's theme is all about communication, and who can't use an improvement in communication? I'm here tonight with Keith and Kevin. What's going on, guys?
1: Well, we're going to learn about some communication, and communication. Actually, I want to do a little quick shout out here on Twitter. We're in Tweet Chat, and of course, our friend Andrew Lopez at Nurse Friendly uh, is helping us out here, mm-hmm. along with Keith, trying to manage the Tweet Chat. Sherylin88, and right. I believe the yoga nurse is in there, Annette Torsini. Um, and the hopeful healer so welcome guys
3: yeah and i want to say welcome welcome to to everyone out there in radio land internet land in on twitter on facebook thank you for joining us and we're very excited about the show and communication is so important for all of us whether we're nurses or not so we're very excited for tonight's topic
2: Fantastic. So before I list our guests for next week, I just want to go ahead and apologize up front. I have got a little bit of a lag on my end with the studio. Um, I've tried everything, tried to fix it. Can't figure out how to fix it, so if you find me rudely cutting everyone off tonight, um, it's not me, I swear. It is my technology that is, for one reason or another, lagging. So forgive me up front for cutting anybody off, and um, if we're a little <laughs> slow tonight and laggy, that's why, okay? So just I just wanted to say that to everybody communication? up front.
1: I know, and now... It's not and your no, communication it's not, it's not style. Not communication. <laughs>
2: no, my communications are uh, not suffering tonight. <laughs> Thankfully, Yay. it's just my tech. Um, so uh, <laughs> before we jump in, I just want to list a guest for the next couple of weeks. Um, next week, we're very excited to introduce Gwen Dalton. She is the CEO and educator, a chief educator over at uh, Pro Hospice Solutions down in Texas. And she's going to talk to us about hospice uh, education for nurses, et cetera, um, very excited to have her on. She's an extremely passionate guest. The following week, on the 26th of March, we have got Michael Pergram, Coach Perg. Not only is he a dedicated listener of RNFM Radio and a great participant in our tweet chats, um, Coach Perg is also a fantastic nursing burnout coach. And if you haven't visited him over at his website, check him out at coachperg.com. And finally... We are tremendously excited to uh, introduce on April 2nd, Dr. Dean Burke, the very first physician we've had on the show. We're breaking with tradition here um, and not just having nurses, uh, but now we're going to have a doctor on the show. He is also, or better known, as the author of the book, The Millionaire Nurse. And I know you guys do not want to miss this. This is literally how on a nurse's salary – you can, too, become a millionaire. Um, He teaches incredible strategies on um, saving, investing, living frugally, uh, so that you can reach that benchmark. Um, So really excited to have him. And without further ado, I would like to turn the mic over to Keith for a very special introduction of our special guest tonight, Beth Boynton. Go ahead, Keith.
3: Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna. And I want to really thank Beth for being here with us tonight. Beth Boynton is an organizational development consultant and she specializes in issues that impact nurses and healthcare professionals. She is a nationally known speaker, coach, facilitator, and trainer, especially for topics related to communication, conflict management, team building, and leadership development. And she's the author of the excellent book, Confident Voices The Nurse's Guide to Improving Communication and Creating Positive Workplaces. And I am holding that. Book in my hand at this very moment. She is an adjunct faculty member with New England College's graduate program in healthcare administration, and um, she contributes at the University of Florida faculty in the Forensic Science for Nurses certificate program. She has an online newsletter called Confident Voices, and it draws from audiences across the nation addressing communication, conflict, and workplace dynamics. And in October 2010, she was chosen by the editorial team of Dorland Health for a special honors leadership award at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. So we're very impressed about that.
0: Wow.
3: Her, yeah, yeah. Her blog is, um, her blog is called confidentvoices.com. Um, and it's Confident Voices in Healthcare, Nurses, Patient Advocates, and Colleagues Collaborating for Safer, Kinder Care. And her website is bethboynton.com, and we'll be repeating those later on in the show. And if anyone would like to call in after we talk for a little while, the call-in number is 347-308-8064. That's 347 347-308- 308 8064, and Beth Boynton, a very hearty welcome to RNFM Radio.
4: Thank you all. I'm very excited to be having this conversation with you guys and um, listeners as well.
3: Thank you. And if you'd like to start off, yeah, we'd just like to know a little bit about you, about your clinical experience, and then how you moved from... The clinical into nurse entrepreneurship because we really see you as a as a pioneer nurse entrepreneur.
4: Well, sure. I um, will try to tell it in a clear way. I I always was interested in healthcare, and when I was in college the first time around, I was um, thinking about pre med and jumping around from philosophy to Majoring in German, and I ended up getting a degree in biochemistry, thinking maybe I would be going to medical technology. And then I went out in the world and did a few different things, and I wasn't feeling like I was getting fulfilled, so I um, decided I would maybe try getting into nursing school. And um, so I actually had a, a BS in biochemistry before I got an associate degree in nursing, so it's a little bit unusual. Um, process, but uh, when I was in nursing school, I was so shocked to find out how smart nurses had to be. I think I I always had kind of a um, thought of them as more subordinate um, in nature, and I just didn't realize the level of education and skill and knowledge that was required in order to be uh, a successful nurse. Mm -hmm. So, in addition to learning the, the actual skills and clinical skills, I was also um, just becoming aware of the wisdom and gifts that this whole huge profession uh, had and has. So anyway, I did that, and I got my degree in nursing, and I went to a big teaching hospital up in northern New Hampshire and I, at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, so that's kind of one of the famous ones, and I was really excited to be there, but I missed the ocean. I came back. Um, and I did some. I was at a smaller hospital locally in Med Surge, and then I had this opportunity to uh, work in the occupational health department. And um, so that was really exciting. I got to be introduced to this whole new field of occupational health. Where I was in this huge factory, I was sub- subcontracted out, and I had I was like the nurse. I was the nurse, and people really were grateful to have me there. And I was. Found that I had all sorts of um, interesting insights and observations. It was really a, a huge learning environment for me. And uh, one of the I, or one of my earlier attempts at starting a business. I think I've always been kind of entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. creative thinking, and wanting to do things differently. But I, I had started to uh, tried starting a business and um, avoiding adversarial relationships because I could see in my role that the power struggles that were going on between management and employees were huge deterrents to people getting better and back to work. And whenever there was a conflict between a Hmm. supervisor and and an employee, that that was manifesting at least in part with the injury. And sometimes the only power the employee the employee had was, with their injury and that you know all gets complicated so I thought I had this great idea well I can help you avoid <laughs> adversarial relationships and if I help you do that you will have less uh, costly claims and so on and so forth but anyway at the same right. time I was all I'm sorry oh so, so she was just way... oh.
1: yeah she was just agreeing
4: <laughs> oh, oh yeah um, so that was like a, one of my first attempts at Um, trying to start my own business. And meanwhile, I um, was in a relationship and had a new son at the time, a young, my little dearest treasure came into my life. And um, so the working family uh, balance, I think, shifted, and that was more important. And I don't think I, for a while, focused quite so much on on um developing my own business, I stayed in occupational health for quite a while and I did uh also did quite a bit of home health. Um that those two things allowed me to um, have a flexible schedule. I could work weekends and be home during the week and a lot of mm-hmm. different um you know, nursing is is has many opportunities in in those ways. At least it has been good to me for that. So anyway, let's see. Um, I guess fast forward down the road a few years and um, then I ended up getting into a a very painful time in my life where I was divorced from my significant other and raising my son as a single mother and the challenges of that that um, became my focal point for a while (laughs) Um, mm. But I also got a chance to learn a lot of lessons about relationship and how I was in the world and what what I was afraid of and um, what made sense to me or what didn't make sense to me and all sorts of um, learning. And eventually I went back to school to get my master's in organization and management. A few, mm. a few years later, I'm not exactly focusing on the timeline here, but anyway, I, right. when That's I was Okay, okay thanks. Um, when I was back in my master's program, I um, was very interested in emotional intelligence and group dynamics, and in a way, actually, I, I had been a manager at a, a small home health organization, and I left that job. It, when I went back to school and um, and th- at that point in my life I was actually trying to get out of healthcare, care and uh, I, so I was focusing much more on emotional intelligence and I actually built a model that used, uh, used uh, theater games to teach emotional intelligence to children and when I got out of when I got my master's I actually implemented that program in a couple of places and was building that. I wasn't making a lot of money at it, but I did some uh, theater games camps for kids, and it was fun and it was uh, meaningful work. Um, but then I had a chance to teach at um, where where I got my master's at Antioch University, and they had a certificate program in healthcare administration, and they asked me if I would want to teach a course in healthcare um, issues, current issues. And that, at that time, that book, Crossing the Quality Chasm, or Chasm, that the Institute of Medicine put out uh, mm-hmm. 12 years ago now, um, we used that book, and there were eight students in the class, and I loved it. I loved facilitating the conversations that we were having, and um, it was wonderful to be with these adults that were passionate about health care and yet also struggling with some of the issues that we were facing. Yeah. And
3: so well, Beth, Beth can I ask a question here first? Yeah, Beth? sure. Sure. Um so while you were in this master's program at Antioch, it, it was the organization and management program.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. The, yeah. My 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 wife is actually a graduate of that same program. That's interesting. Oh um, wow. Yeah. So you were you were working as a nurse at this time as well while you were doing this master's program. Yep,
4: yep. I I, I went back to a per diem, you know, healthcare.
3: Right, and then were all the other people in this program also healthcare providers or somehow involved in the healthcare world?
4: In my master's program. Yeah. Mm, no. Um, no. Okay. I don't think anybody was that I can remember. Um, so you
3: were the. You were the lone healthcare person within that within that met venue at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah, And I wanted to ask, you know, while you were working in that program and starting to get so interested in in communication and and it heard, you know, the the work that you did with the children and everything that you did in the graduate program and in 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 the healthcare field. How did How did your interest in writing a book and starting to communicate all of this communication to, I'm sorry, how did you take all of this information and decide you were going to communicate it out to the world and bring this idea of positive communication out to the healthcare field? What was the spark? What brought you in that direction?
4: Well, I I think, Keith, it it was this dawning awareness of What the underlying problems were, Um, interesting to me to be, as I was gaining new skills in terms of, and this sort of parallels with my personal growth and my professional growth, as I was learning new skills uh, in communication myself, learning to speak up assertively, learning to set limits and those kinds of things. And yet I would be at work and my program role in home health and I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to practice these skills, but they're not well received and in a culture that is so strong and powerful that um, it's tough for one person to to change it. So it was just this, I guess that might have been the spark of awareness about how this
5: Uh,
4: new me that was evolving could play a role in identifying and understanding, um, the dynamics that we're in. See, I I think one of the reasons that we in healthcare, you know, we've known about these statistics about medical error for many years, but we don't seem to be effectively solving them. We're making dents in certain places, and I don't mean that we're not making any progress. But I believe that we're not getting at those underlying dynamics of right, human exactly. behavior. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. Right. And until so I'm compelled, I feel like I, I feel like, oh, there's a fire over there, and I know where the water
1: is, or at least
4: some of it. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I, I don't. know.
1: Right. Well, so Beth, uh, Kevin here. So, I mean, ultimately, I mean, why, why is communication, uh, you know, in your opinion, why is it so important for for nurses?
4: Why is communication so important for nurses? Well, when or, I speak about yeah, two nurses, yeah,
1: two nurses. Um,
4: say that again, please.
1: Or or for yeah, well, I mean, why why is communication so important to nurses? I mean, in our in our industry. I mean, obviously, um, you know, it, it sounds like you you have a pretty strong opinion about that, and just kind of how how you would like to sort of convey that to other nurses sure. out there.
4: Well, I think it's really important for some key reasons. First of all, we make a lot of mistakes in healthcare, and the, one of the primary underlying causes of that year after year after year is that we have some sort of a communication failure. Um, handoffs are notorious for being places where we're not giving the right information to the right person, or it's not being heard, or it's not being stated, or we don't have and, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. So that's one reason. Another reason is that I think. Effective and respectful communication is a key to uh, building, promoting respect for our, the work that we do and ourselves so that we are in the work, as we are working in the day-to-day world of uh, providing nursing care, that we are respecting ourselves and each other. You know, horizontal lateral violence is another issue in healthcare, care. And, I mean, in a way we could say that that is the opposite of respectful communication. You know, we need to be able to respect our own limits and we need to be able to express them assertively and we need to be able to respect those of others. And I also, I believe that as we do this, as we're all doing it with our different strengths and our different gifts and our different needs for improvement, that there's a miracle that can unfold in that. Right. You know, this is, this mm. is really how we're going to arrive, or at least it's part of it, not the whole picture, but it's
1: the part that I'm hearing the torture about. Well, and it does mm. seem that, you know, effective, okay. I mean, we definitely need to be effective in our communication with each other. Nurses, uh, I mean, lives are on the line. And I think that's probably, it seems like one of the, the barriers that um, in any other profession, not to say that other professions don't have, you know, stress, uh, you know, within the company, the organization, or what they're doing. But ultimately, when you've got lives on the line, um, right. you, ultimately, that that communication can break down. Um, you know, we, we could be so just sort of, uh, you know, just sucked at, the life sucked out of us, like from a shift, that just even being able to communicate with, with uh, even our coworkers can be challenging uh, at times, Absolutely. even though that's a critical piece uh, for us to kind of follow through on is being able to effectively communicate with our coworker and even we're handing off an assignment. So we definitely have challenges as nurses um in the environment Absolutely. that we work in.
4: And there are uh, mm-hmm. individual and organizational components to that and I uh, and I believe individual and organizational obligations to fixing it. Um it's not a simple
1: thing. Right. right. Agreed. Right.
2: Beth, I, I wanted to know, from your perspective, um, given that you've done a lot of work in this field, how, how, in your view, has communication in the healthcare setting changed over the years, and how has it stayed the same?
4: Well, um, that is a great question, Anna. I, I guess I believe that it is slowly changing that nurses are speaking up more and that doctors are listening more and that there are cultures where respectful communication is the norm. I believe that that Mm -hmm. is true and that that is probably growing. I haven't honestly experienced it in my Mm -hmm. own work as a nurse um, Mm -hmm. other than, you know, little spots of, of places, so in some ways, I think that it's as much as I want to say it's changing and, and be hopeful. I also see it as a place where it needs to change a lot more. We have a lot of work to do.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: I, I have a follow-up question. Then, you know, if you do believe that it is changing, how do you think it's? How do you think we institutionally establish uh, positive communication? You know, I'm I, I work at a facility uh where there's a zero tolerance policy on uh bullying, a zero tolerance policy on professional disrespect. Um, you know, I mean, is is that the way to go? Is it sort of top down? Is it bottom up? <coughs> well, how do you get the buy-in? The of it. I mean,
4: it, it the, you definitely have to have top leadership being uh making a long-term commitment to having a clear vision of zero tolerance, and, they ha- and it has to be role modeled. So that's key. Um, right. If if the organization is starting from a place where there's a serious toxic toxicity in the culture, then we also have to look at other things. We have to acknowledge that trust has to be built, rebuilt because it's probably been broken. Um, there has to be training and assertiveness and listening. Um, that's one of my pet peeves. Mm-hmm. Is we say, well, well let's tra- let's get uh patients and nurses to speak up, but we don't
0: necessarily
4: train other people in listening and it's only half of the equation right. after a while. If you speak up and speak up and speak up and nobody's listening, um there's a tendency to stop speaking up or to find other ways to get your voice heard. Um, mm. Sure. so, so training in um, assertiveness and listening and practice in those skills because it's not like, I mean, we can put the sign in the coffee shop bathroom, employees must wash hands, and that can be one way that we think we're going to change behavior. But if we don't have mechanisms in place to practice um, with with these new behaviors, because speaking up and listening, um, you know, I can send you an email or a page of tips on respectful listening and assertive language, But that's the simple intellectual piece of it. And if we stop there, we're really doing an injustice to the work because what we really have to do is practice those skills and we have to create opportunities for feedback, giving and receiving constructive feedback, and, um, and, and opportunities to... Um, fail and learn from them. And then, of course, at some point, there does have to be some disciplinary action, but I don't think that's the way to start. I think that's sort of the the last resort. Um, Right. Right. Let me think if I'm
3: covering Oh, go ahead. Can I ask a question here? Um, About a minute ago, you mentioned toxic workplaces, and Mm -hmm. some of us are familiar with that. Idea, and some are not necessarily familiar with it, so how would you describe a toxic work environment? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What do nurses feel like when they're in a toxic environment?
4: Okay um I think that nurses feel like they can't speak up or if or they would feel if something went wrong if there was a mistake that they would be blamed. for for the mistake rather than the organization looking at the outcome, this error that happened, and looking at it from a standpoint of what did we do wrong, where did we fail. Um, It would be more like where did she or he um, not follow protocol. Um, There would be other issues like bullying. Uh, You know, nurses that have experienced bullying, when they have them out there, it's a miserable experience where you're excluded, there's gang-like behavior, there's backbiting, um, you know, that may be horizontal, there may be vertical aspects. There may be a tolerance for disruptive behavior from physicians, bullying from physicians. It's not necessarily any different uh, uh, disruptive behavior. Bullying it can be the same thing, so... It's no nicer when a physician does it than when a nurse does it. They, they tend to be a little bit different in, in general. Um, right. we, uh, we can talk about that if you want. But th- those are some um, factors that I would say help describe a toxic workplace. And it's horrible for patients. And it's horrible sure, for workers.
1: Course. Yeah, you
4: know, it's stressful enough, the work we do.
1: And... Well, and actually, if I could just chime in for a second. So, Beth, I I think we had, um, when Keith was um, uh, on retreat and we had Dr. Jeannie Bertoli on uh, a few weeks ago, we had talked about, uh, because we were just kind of talking about a controversial topic, when uh, nurses hazing, in a sense. I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. there's some sort of, like, introduction to the unit. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, um, this is, you know, this is just kind of the deal. Um, But ultimately is is hazing even, you know, something that is just can be accepted? I mean, ultimately, we're dealing with p- with patients' lives. I mean, we have uh, people's lives in our hands. And really, is is that the place for hazing? And that's some, something that should be left in either, you know, like high school or college or probably not done at all, quite frankly. But, um, you know, where yeah. are the lines blurred there in a sense? Like when is it hazing well, and then it goes into bullying? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
4: Oh, uh, well, I... I think it's a slippery slope, and um, I know that a colleague of mine who's a lawyer that does some work on bullying has a very legal definition of bullying, and he might not agree with me because I don't, uh, I'm not using that uh, per se, but I really think once we start to tolerate disrespectful behavior, that we create a door for it to get worse and for it to become a pattern, mm-hmm. and for there to be targets, and so, you know, I, and I and I think part of where that happens is that we get out of nursing school, the nursing school teaches us um, the perfect way of doing things, and we have a couple of patients, and we follow the protocol, and we're, you know, committed to following that protocol, and then somehow along the way, we get into the real world, and it's often not possible to do things the way we're supposed to. And I think, um, remind me, if, if you can, to mention the term um, normalization of deviance. um but I think we get into this world that's quite a bit different than we're anticipating. And so the ones that stay and they survive um, in nursing, then it becomes sort of like, well, you have to earn your stripes. I did it, so you're going to find out the hard way, too. You're going to have to face this culture shock that I face when I get out of nursing school, something like that.
2: Does that make sense? um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, Beth, I actually have uh, a a colleague of yours, a very uh, well-known nurse author, Carol Gino, on the line. And she had a question for you related to... um, some similar strands and topics, so i 'd like to bring her on so she can ask her a question if that 's okay
6: sure hi, Carol yes. um question because I watch this continuously happen, even online, if you will. um I want to know how okay let's say we get the vertical um bullying going on because because corporations now get paid because doctors bring people in and nurses are pulling money out of the corporations. What I want to know is what do you see that we can do to stop the lateral violence as long as we know that powerless people – Pick on other powerless people, and we're at the bottom of the pecking order. Unless we somehow can define ourselves and give ourselves enough um, power that we can respect each other. And what we're doing. it's You know, it's easier for us, if a doctor picks on us, it's easier for us to turn and pick on somebody else when yeah. we don't have a standard scope of practice, where We we don't have any way and nobody to back us, you know, that kind of stuff. What elements do you think need to be incorporated in order for us to learn that we're a value so we can't turn on each other.
4: Well, it's it's an excellent question that you're asking. And the first thing I want to say is please know it's not easy. And the second thing I want to say is it is possible. And it does involve it involves some things that we can control. Um, I can control my own self-reflection. I can, if I'm upset about something, I can think about what's making me upset, I can use assertive language to uh, to find out if I can talk with somebody. Um, if somebody's uh, mistreating me, I can have a conversation with that person. And I may not. It may not be safe to. And I don't ever um, suggest people take chances that don't feel safe. So... There's some things that we can do as individuals, and you mentioned the word powerless, and I want to say something um, that comes to my mind frequently. When I'm, in a, when I'm in a conundrum, I say to myself, where am I giving away my power and where is it being taken? And sometimes I believe in healthcare mm. and in nursing that both things are happening. And not everybody would agree with me. Some people would say, well, no, you just perceive that you're losing power. But honestly, I don't quite buy that. I believe that sometimes that our, our, our caring is exploited. I believe that the, the constant level of stress that we face um, makes it difficult to use our higher order of thinking in the moment and that we're always at the fire. And, boy, that's a tough place to practice New kinds of skills. Uh, A couple other things that are coming to my mind as I uh, think about your question, and that is to keep in mind that, you know, assertiveness um, on the surface is fairly simple. We could say, well, we could use I statements, and we can use a clear voice, and we can use body language that um, demonstrates confidence. And I believe in those things. But we also have to know the underlying those are issues with self esteem. Do I deserve to be respected? Um, do I feel safe in this environment? Do I feel that if I do speak up I will be heard? And those kinds of things are extremely complicated. You know, it's when I mentioned my personal work years before, trust me the path is a long and windy way to getting to the place where um, I can feel confident. Let me share a quick story about that if I may that my first keynote um address was out in Washington State, and I was speaking to nurse leaders and I had just maybe two weeks before had an issue where I do some per diem work and long term care about um a staffing issue that I felt was unsafe. And without going into all the detail about the process that I went through, talking with my supervisor, talking with the scheduler, making the calls and all of that, is that, it was scarier for me to assert myself in that per diem work environment than it was to stand up in front of 120 nurse leaders and give a keynote address, which I had never done before. Wow. And, and, and the power of that is, I guess the point I wanted to make is that it's extremely hard work the more of us that that do it the more impact we'll have and sometimes um if the culture is so toxic it may just be the best thing may be uh to find another place or to just use coping strategies sometimes i think it's not fair to ask one nurse or two nurses to think that they can practice these skills and change a culture um I really think Oh I think
6: Beth I, I have a question here. One of sure. the things that I'm thinking is a problem is that um I know the difference before like before and now, the, the pattern of connection. You know, we go to school and now the, one of the first things they teach you about is boundaries. So you can separate yourself from the pain of the patients and you can do the right job and all that other stuff. I think the problem becomes, though, that with the bottom line of business interfering with the job of those who feel like they have a calling, it also breaks the connection between nurse and patient. And that was a feedback mechanism that helped empower the individual nurses at the bedside or at, now the nurses Who are, they're, they're in management positions a lot of the time running other nurses and whether they're LTNs or CNAs who have six weeks of training or whatever. So it's, the whole thing is set up to have people fight amongst themselves. And what my question, I think, is where do we begin telling the truth about what nursing is, what our potential as healers is, even in a toxic system like a corporate system where you can go in, introduce yourself to a patient, uh, make that connection so that you get some of that feedback instead of focusing only on the technology and stuff and, therefore, um, learn how important you are to the patients, so to speak, and that may carry a little farther, you know, in in helping us among ourselves and if we complement each other on some of these jobs that we do, you know. Right. Well,
4: absolutely. I mean, I think that... We're starting right now. We're having this conversation. That's part of starting. Um, we're curious about each other's experience in, in the workplace, and we're listening respectfully to our peers. That those are ways that we can start. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think that in, my, in, in the big long-term picture, what's missing in our whole system is, the, is, a, is a focus on relationships and healthy relationship, not toxic relationship. That's
6: what I think I'm saying. You know, when soldiers go over and see some of the same stuff we do, Mm -hmm. some of that same, I don't think they've diagnosed any of us yet because we have to have leftover wounds from being taken Mm -hmm. out of a middle class environment and thrown into the middle of these wards where we watch so much sickness and death and Mm -hmm. how fragile people are and A lot of the kids who come in are not prepared for this stuff. But where soldiers, they're aware of PTSD in soldiers, Mm -hmm. with nurses, they just expect without too much training or support us to be able to absorb both the psychic wounds and the emotional wounds of all of this. Absolutely, And still to be not wounded in crisis situations and uh, not to have resources a- in the same way, you know, uh, not to be celebrated even in the same way. So I was wondering where we could begin to communicate to each other how important we could be, even as individuals, and how how great and a heroic journey nursing can be.
4: Well, I tell you, I awesome. do. Carol, I have thank an you. Answer. I'm going to have you
2: take the oh, – go ahead. I'm going to have Carol take the – actually off the air, the answer off the air, because we've got another caller in the queue. Okay. Carol, thank well, you so much for calling, and keep keep yes, listening in. I'm just going to have you listen off the air.
4: Okay. Yeah, I just. Go ahead. It's it's sort of an abstract thought, but I really believe that if each individual is practicing assertiveness and setting limits about what we need, what we want, um, and we're respecting those of others, that a natural, that healthier environments will naturally emerge. It's a very long path, though, but that is a place to start. Carol, is Respecting yourself and setting limits accordingly, and respecting mm. the, your peers. You know, and I'll tell you, sometimes it's funny. At the end of a, a 12-hour shift, um, my fuse gets pretty short. So, you know, I'm trying to advocate for I, more staff. Um, anyway, that's that's mm. sort, of, sort of story. But so I did want to make that point about setting limits and respecting those of others. Is um, I I actually think it's it's where we begin, and it's also a place where emotional intelligence can inform almost every problem we have in our world today. I believe it that strongly, you know, the conflicts that we have. If we can have healthy conflicts and learn from each other and appreciate each other and respect each other, even when we're different,
3: wow. Yeah. Well, well Beth, um, everything you're saying is so salient for all of us nurses out here, and There's been some really interesting conversation on the tweet chat, and I just wanted to tell you a couple questions that have been asked, and and you can kind of pick and choose from them. But nurse-friendly Andrew Lopez has been tweet chatting quite a bit, and I'll just read you a couple of these. He said, Beth, at what point can we start preparing graduate nurses and students for a potentially toxic environment that they're going to enter? And then he also said, this sounds like a vicious cycle of paying your dues, as an integral part of becoming a nurse and how do we break that cycle and then he also said how do we take positions to bring about change in the workplace if the chain of command and the culture is so fixed against us so he um he andrew has this very yeah. interesting thread that he's running about the toxicity that's out there how we're not preparing our graduate nurses well for it, how there's a culture where the nurses, like you were saying, are just basically thrown into the fire. They skip the frying pan. And we don't want them taking hazardous positions, as you said, but how do we help them to be so empowered that they don't accept that type of lateral or horizontal abuse?
4: Well, I think we began a nursing school... Um, a couple of universities are actually using my book as a textbook which is very exciting um, for me personally but Mm. because I'm teaching those those themes and helping prepare but I don't think we're going to be nearly as successful if we don't also address an orientation process within the facilities. You know the culture Mm. has to change um, too. I, I guess we will be successful someday but it will be Generations, rather than, you know, maybe one generation. We could do a lot if we're if we're addressing the culture in the facility, and we're addressing uh, the expectation and clear communication skills in nursing school. I just um, sent in a proposal for the University of Southern Maine to do a uh, professional communication course for nurses that would be like a 12 contact hour, three session. Um, Group, So that mm. feels really exciting to me. They're excited about it. So to me, that says the environment's changing, because I'll tell you, five years ago when I was up trying to talk in a, in a school of nursing, I had written a proposal about collaboration in nursing, and it was like, well, we don't have time.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: We can't right. fit anything in the curriculum. Uh-huh. And so right. we know that's changing um. a little bit. So... Um,
3: and we also we know how important that is for nurses. And if they don't have time for it in nursing school, when will anyone ever get that information? <laughs>
2: right. right. There's no time ever. You know, I mean, you got to make time right. for it. And that is exactly right, Anna. And not only do we have to
4: make time for that, but we have to, you know, that's like an individual and an organizational obligation. We have to slow down a little bit, I think, in nursing you know, we have to make time to have conflict. Right. We don't have time to, you know, what do we have, five or ten minutes when we're talking with the the shift that left and the shift that came on, have five or ten minutes to talk with each right. other about the highlights of the, you know, the critical issues that are going on. We don't have a chance right. to um, deal with respect, have respectful feedback. Um, and, and I think the workplace owes it to us, but we're going to have to ask for it. You know, we're going to have to say that we need it. We want it. We deserve it. Um, so I, I'm hopeful in the long term. I just know it's a long process. Mm-hmm. I don't have easy answers. Anybody right. to ask me those questions, I don't have easy answers. It's a long term commitment to make to change a human behavior. And we've got to do it. It'll, it. Life will be a lot better as we do.
0: Right. And I, I'm exactly. not sure if I'm
4: addressing all of Andrew's points, but they're well taken. And they I are,
3: think they were true. right, they were um Beth, and you're addressing them in a very global way, which we really appreciate and he asked a follow up question he asked you know related to all of this about lateral violence and and communication issues in the healthcare field. He wanted to know if you've been following the Amanda Trujillo case and if you have any comments about that
4: um, I was following it initially um I step back from it a little bit partially mm-hmm. because or you know I felt like I was only hearing one side of the story and that's always a red flag for me I want to mm-hmm. know more I want to know
0: mm-hmm.
4: um you know I was a little worried about scope of practice issues and how uh, uh, li- how a hospital could be facing really serious liability issues if somebody's practicing out of out of scope so I was concerned about that I certainly have um empathy and sympathy for somebody being fired for um advocating for a patient um that's clearly wrong I just don't feel like I know enough to know what happened and and the process um it sounds like the process was horrible um so I don't know I guess those are my comments
3: Mm. Thank you. Thank mm. you. Thanks. Now, um, Anna yeah, I appreciate Kevin, you commenting you, on that. Yeah, and Anna or Kevin, did you all have a, another question?
2: Um, I don't know. Kevin, do you have anything from the from tweet chat? If you don't, I do have a question.
1: No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, please.
2: Okay. um, We unfortunately lost our caller. I don't know if they were waiting too long or what happened, but that's okay. If, if you're out there, call back in. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I wanted to ask you, Beth... How would you describe a toxic work environment? Because you talk a lot about that in your book. You know, what what does that consist of? And I guess, um, you know, just as a joke, I, I remember a couple <laughs> years ago, one of the politicians said, you know, it's kind of like porn. Uh, you can't really define it. You just know it when you see it. I mean, is it that kind of thing, or do you have a real definition well, for a toxic work mm-hmm. environment?
4: Um, if I was going to write about it, I'd probably come up with one and look around and find one. But it's... It, you, you don't necessarily see it, but, boy, you feel it. You know, you don't feel safe. Mm.
0: Um,
4: there are alignments. People have relationships based on, a, you know, I'll be your best friend and we won't like her or we won't like him or um, those kinds of exclusionary uh, ways of forming relationships. Um, right. There's a, you kind of live in this constant fear that if you're honest or if you have an issue with somebody that you can't really tell them, but it is safe to talk about them to somebody else with, you know, this sort of gossiping third party approach. Mm -hmm. So it's really just, it's not respectful. We're not respecting ourselves and we're not respecting each other when we do that, but um, in an environment where that's everybody, where that's what everybody does and there is no opportunity to do something different um add to that the pressure that we are facing um pretty much every minute, and it's a sort of a recipe for uh, and I guess I'd also have to say um the whole gender issue the the primarily women um in the field and the history at least a history of um self esteem issues um and mm-hmm. um indirect communication i think I, I grew up with four brothers and I think I learned to be a little bit more direct mm-hmm. than some of my colleagues, uh, at least in my age group.
1: Um, so
4: I, does that give you an idea? Um, you know, and sometimes
2: yeah, I no, think... Yeah, sure. Should, Very good definition.
1: Well, and you know, and I, I had something to add because I think... You know, Anna had, had touched on it and then you had touched on it too. And of course, you know, congratulations on the book um being a part of where we think that the ultimate buy-in needs to happen uh while they're in school because you know essentially I, I think that's a huge challenge um with with this situation currently when we're talking about effective communication, communication styles, lateral violence and abuse. I mean ultimately where does the buy in uh where does that occur? I mean, because you can have nurses and, and again you've touched on it nurses want to buy into it i think they want to be able to effectively communicate to each other and and have that be reciprocated um but then there's that whole thing of you know if you're not at the bedside you've lost touch and how can there be buy in there so as i think anna had pointed out does it stop, does it start at the bottom the top and you're you're starting in school and i think that's tremendous um you know and i i do want to congratulate you on that and um, I just think that's that's a huge hurdle, to be honest, Beth. And, and for a lot of nurses out there, like where is the buy-in on that? I
4: mean, and, and sadly, if we if we just look at that piece of it, then we can say, well, our future nurses will be more successful. But what about everybody now? You know, does it really help that? Um, gradually it will. I was was in that award you mentioned that was so exciting when I was in Washington D.C. and I got a cab to go to the National Press Conference I was like wow I'm going there while another woman joined me in the cab and she was a young surgeon probably in her 30s and she was going to a different conference and um, we talked a little bit about what what we were doing and um, she said to me what was it, it was like She didn't think that the old patterns were going to change; that they just have to wait till all the the old dark is left, or whatever, Hmm. and that it was going to be through attrition. And I thought, oh, that is so sad. Not only is it sad because we have to wait that long, but think about the judgment and the experience that we're losing with those people. um, And isn't there a better way? And so I think we chip away at it. You know, we do it and we get it started in school and we, and, you know, I think I mentioned in my book some example about, um, you know, one nurse saying, I need help, it it may not go very far, but two, uh, we need help, three, six nurses saying we need another person. You know, that power is, 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 as we become uh, more healthily related to each other, I think that we'll be able to express our power uh, more effectively. I actually don't think we're powerless. I think we have a lot of power. I just don't think we're tapping into it effectively. And I think communication is the key to doing that.
2: You know, um, Beth, I wanted to talk a little bit about a really unique experience I had while in nursing school. Uh, I was part of a small group of us were chosen to be part of a uh, pilot program where our nursing school and um, a medical school were actually brought together, um, small groups mm. from e- from each were brought together for a research study, and we were put into um, a simulation lab together. And okay. we were given different scenarios separated from one another, Completely at the start, given different you know the same scenario, different uh-huh. instructions about the scenario and how it was going to run, etc and um, this is us you know uh, the nurses we were in our last semester of nursing school um, and the the medical students I believe were either in their first or second uh, semester or year they they weren 't very far along. Um, But it was to test, I I believe, from my perspective, I don't think we were ever told what it was to test, but it was to test our our interactions, our communication ability, um, our presuppositions about one Mm -hmm. another, and our ability Mm -hmm. to sort of just inherently communicate and um it was fascinating and we were actually yeah. at the at the end um so it was a scenario about a guy you know he was decompensating and and they had to sort of assess the situation give us orders communicate with us we had to follow out the orders communicate back with them and so on um and but they had to re- rely on our assessments of the patient and wow. it was very very fascinating how all this went down yeah it was it was incredible and while we were still in school and then we all got together in a room um, and discussed our impressions of everything at the end. And um, I had an incredible experience where the medical student, one of them was, I guess, at the time I thought, you know, being the insecure nursing student that I was at the time, um, mm-hmm. you know, gracious enough. And, and she said, I have to tell you, I had no idea nurses were so smart. I felt oh, okay. like I didn't know anything in there. You guys knew everything, wow. and we didn't know anything, and I felt helpless. And I was like oh, my God, how do they know so much? What the heck's going on? What am I missing? Like, you know? And so wow. she said, I just have to give you guys so much respect and say, wow, this taught me I better listen to my nurses and, and not go from these assumptions that I had. And I just thought, wow, that's, A, like, so vulnerable to say that and, and so gracious. Um, Absolutely. And B, and wow, that really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> they think that. <laughs> so.
4: That's that's wonderful. I think that's a wonderful story. I'd love to know more about it, or if you'd ever like to blog about that experience, um, that might be a nice. Uh, yeah,
2: I can. Put you put might you have, have some nice in insight. With the, right, I can put you in touch with the professor who set that up. In fact, I'm still in uh, contact with her at my my old nursing school. So, um,
0: mm-hmm.
4: uh,
2: she's great. She's very cutting edge and does does different studies like that. So, big into research. That sounds
4: wonderful. Yeah, I'd love mm. to. That's Um, a rich experience and probably all sorts of ways to utilize that. But anyway, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's Mm. hopeful to me. That's hopeful. (laughs) It is. It is. We need more of it. Thank
3: you, Anna. Thanks for that example. And, um, Beth, I wanted to touch back on something that you mentioned very briefly a few minutes ago, and you and I had talked about this uh, by email, actually, some time ago. And I was curious about your views on how communication in the healthcare setting changes when the genders of the people involved in the communication are different, often different than what we would consider the quote unquote norm, like a male doctor and a female nurse, which is what we often think of because it's been culturally ingrained in our brains to think that way. But what when you have, a male nurse communicating with a female doctor or a male nurse and a female nurse or a female nurse and a female doctor? Have you noticed any trends? Have you noticed anything that makes that communication different and causes the communication to either break down or maybe even be more effective?
4: Well, yeah, I could probably, I've probably probably seen both. I think, um, you know, it's not uncommon for female nurses to say, oh, I wish it's so much easier to talk to a man. Um, and sometimes I get irritated that because I think we can talk effectively, too, us female <laughs> nurses. Um, it's a cop-out. So, yeah, kind of, it feels like. It, um, so it let's see. Be, what yeah. Else? Uh, I mean, like what you said About it's you know, we have these cultural things that are ingrained, and perhaps there are some nature nature, nurture um, aspects as well. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think there's been some studies that women are tend to be better at relationship based um, stuff, whereas men are better at task based stuff. Um, I don't think that it should, those things exclude. Um, you from having healthy, uh, being good at relationships and me being good at tasks. Um, So I I guess what it does is it makes it even more complicated because there are different cultural norms and expectations that um, you know, I think sometimes nurses may talk more and more about detailed things that a male female nurses might do that, that a male doctor might not Need that to hear or want that degree of detail? Um, you know, ultimately, I think that what we need to do is have sort of a, a standard of respect, and because things like cultural differences, those are going to come into play too. And they, you know, we're going to face that in healthcare too. We have people. I work with people from all over the world in this little nursing home that I work at uh, on weekends, and. It's fascinating to me, um, and I think that the underlying way to address it, at least in a workplace, is to have a clear expectation that we're going to be respectful of each other. You don't need to respect me, but you need to treat me respectfully, you know. And because we can't mandate people um, respecting each other, but we can enforce respectful behavior so i'm Uh not i don't think i'm really necessarily answering your question because i know that you've been thinking about about this so i want to know more from you as a male nurse maybe in a world that's got overwhelmingly more female nurses maybe what some of your experiences are maybe i'll have some thoughts about that
3: Oh, okay. I, I like you turning the question around. That's great. Um, I do, too. I could, yeah, Kevin, um, Kevin I'll too. say something, and then and then you can say something, too. But what I'll say is that it, it was interesting. As a nurse case manager in Springfield, Massachusetts, for a number of years, I had the the privilege of actually rounding on my patients when they were hospitalized in the, the big hospital there, Bay State Medical Center. And mm-hmm. interestingly enough, I would go in my my civvies, I wasn't wearing a lab coat, I wasn't wearing anything, I would just go in my business casual and I'd often have a stethoscope with me and I'd be walking around looking at charts and visiting my my patients and when I would go to talk to the nurses, the nurses almost immediately assumed that I was a doctor and it was Mm -hmm. interesting that I found that I had extra privileges in the hospital more so than my female case manager uh, counterparts because of how I was perceived when I walked onto the hospital floor. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I honestly did not try to take advantage of that because I felt that it was unfair and I was very clear with people that I was a nurse, I was a nurse case manager, I wasn't a doctor. And mm-hmm. but it it did make me notice the differences in how I was treated mm-hmm. by the nurses wow. on the floors, and it actually did okay. sometimes make me feel that I was being treated differently by some of the doctors, male or female, because I was a mm-hmm. male nurse case manager. So, mm-hmm. Ke- Kevin, did you have any similar experiences, or have you?
1: Um. Well, it. I, I did. I actually now have those experiences um, as a consultant. But I'll go back to, um, I'll lead that uh, from from my Hopkins days where I worked in the uh, cardiac SICU, and it was um, interesting because, you know, you're right, Beth, I mean, it's ultimately there are a lot of females in, in nursing, of course. I mean, we know that's obvious. I mean, males, we are majority in the profession. Um, but on on this particular unit at Hopkins, I would say that we represented the male uh, nurses, probably maybe even 40% um, of the staff wow. there, like on the unit. And it was a it was a pretty good balance. But I did notice, um, of course, obviously it's a teaching hospital. We had an attending physician who was typically the, the dentist was an anesthesiologist, and then we had the residents come in, interns and residents. And um, I had a few occasions where some of the residents, male and female, felt com- more comfortable approaching me about discussing the patient's plan of care than maybe some of my female counterparts. Um, And that was interesting because, you know, I I could see where, and I even like saw that interaction occur between the the doc and the nurse sometimes where um, ultimately, I don't know if it was whether the female nurse was pushing back or the doc was just pushing too hard, but... They would come to me and say, well, you know, I I, I like working with you because I feel like we can kind of talk and collaborate. And sometimes I would take that opportunity and say, well, what is it that you couldn't communicate to, you know, that particular nurse that you could communicate with me? Um, And maybe it's just your approach. I'm not exactly sure. Like, what's going on there? Um, Mm -hmm. Just trying to help out because ultimately I I had the fortunate opportunity in when I was just finishing up nursing school. I worked at the, um, the VA hospital in Denver, and there was a, an intensivist there in the MICU um, who basically told all the residents, you don't listen to the nurses. You can go find a place to do your, residence, you know, your residency somewhere else.
0: Wow. I mean,
1: this guy was like spot on. He was like, you need to respect and value your, the nurses here in this unit because I'll tell you what, you think you've gone through all this medical training. These guys and gals on the unit know what's what. So respect them. And so it was kind of nice for me to sort of end my sort of my nursing yeah. education career in there, but ultimately the training that extended into Hopkins. But, yeah, I mean, Keith, I, I do, uh, you know, I have had that um, sort of experience where I have been treated different, and, and I even, I feel like I'm that way now. And, Beth, I don't know if you know that. I'm a consultant. I'm an independent consultant. I do patient advocacy services, um, and I work with children. I work with adults. And there's a lot of times when I'll enter into a meeting and there will be a female counterpart who's a nurse and it's almost like the chairs are almost turned toward me mm. to like hear what I have to say. And I might yeah. even have someone who, who another RN in the room who has something to say, but it is interesting how that shift kind of gravitates towards me. It's a little uncomfortable. Um, actually it's a lot uncomfortable to be honest.
4: Oh, I I think that's so interesting to hear you both talk and, You know, a little while ago I mentioned giving away our power versus having it be taken, and I I I do think that we're on this path of evolution where our our differences are. um, We're finding ways to even the playing field. I guess is one way that I'd put it. But I'll tell you, it's hard. It's hard. If I were in a room with you, I would probably. Fighting this uh, some sort of long-term historical cultural um, expectation to defer to you, I might overcompensate and be <laughs> obnoxious or something. But it's like <laughs> this, it's, it's an it's an energy that does it's almost palpable, and I you know I can I can understand why it would be uh, uncomfortable for you as well as me or the the male and female. So. Again, cheers to having this conversation. You know, we learn about each other's experience, um, then we can talk about it. I have one of my professors who is—he's a group dynamics uh, specialist, a group process consultant—and he was a real mentor when I was in um, graduate school. And he and I have had many conversations. Uh, he's like this really sensitive man, and. So it's always fun to talk with him about those these kinds of issues and gaps and have the pause where, oh, yeah, you know, I can see what you're saying. Or, you know, he'll take that extra effort, like you mentioned, Keith, about not taking advantage of um, maybe power being given to you or, I don't know, something like that.
2: Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Beth, um, what I think we'd like to do is go ahead and take a quick break for everybody. Grab uh, some water, grab some tea, run to the restroom, whatever you got to do. And okay. uh, would you mind hanging out with us for a couple minutes longer after the break? No, not at all. I'll take a quick break and we'll, uh, yeah, Okay, that's fine. great. We're gonna go ahead and break then. All okay.
3: right.
2: Just a little bit. Here's some beautiful forest sounds for everybody. Enjoy.
3: Okay. Love how you. See do in that. a few minutes.
2: All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that restful meditation break. <laughs> uh, we are back, and I just wanted to – we we had a bit of a question from the tweet chat um, asking for any nurse advocacy organizations that you might be aware of um, to help improve, I guess, not only the general status of nursing, um, but also, I guess, in situations – similar to amandas um where you've got a situation where you may have some questions around um around patient advocacy and um scope of practice and whether something that has occurred is right or wrong um and where would a nurse in that situation turn uh, are you aware of any nurse advocacy organizations that you might recommend
4: well you know i thought in school that our Board of nursing was supposed to play that role at least to some extent in addition to protecting patients mm. um, and i also of course all the big organizations the a n a the National, you know n l n but you know somebody I, <laughs> I i don't know i don't think there is um that well i can't say that there isn't but i don't think there's a safe place where nurses could uh, go with that. Uh, like bullying, every once in a while I get an email, this nurse has been bullied, and can, bullied, can you help? And, you know, I have a lot of ideas and insights about preventing and dealing with bullying on a, um organizational level and a little bit of coaching that I can do to help. But for the most part, um, there's not a lot of resources out there. That I know of, and I hope that, mm. you know, not knowing is okay, because I'd love to hear about them. Um, sure. Somebody re- referred sure, to not me. not
2: knowing is always okay. Yeah,
4: yeah. yay. <laughs> um, somebody referred yeah. introduced me the other day and said, this is Beth Boyne, she's a nursing, nurse advocate. And I was like, oh, wow, that's partly what I do. And it is. I believe in nurses, and I do advocate for them, but I can't say that I'm an organization that...
0: <laughs> you
4: know. Um, so it's a great question. Right. Um let's find out. If anybody knows, them. I'd love to
3: hear hear about them. Um, we
0: well, have that the
3: would be, oh, sorry. Right. I would be interested to see if, if someday someone might have the inspiration to actually create an organization for nurses mm-hmm. that might not have any legal jurisdiction or be able to actually go in there and, you know, mediate for a nurse but can actually perhaps even just offer support to nurses who need that type of support.
4: That is a great right? Well, you know, I almost think I saw something. I'll, if I find something, I'll email it to
1: you.
2: There was
1: some Thank kind you. Of okay, idea. we'll put it up yeah. on our
2: on our website if, if we do okay. find something like that. Absolutely. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, and maybe and speaking, there's this... Well, I was just going to say, I mean, maybe there's a perception, not to put words in anybody's mouths, but just is, you know, are these associations just sort of a glorified version or a larger version of how we feel, um, you know, sometimes with management, how we feel they're just not really, they're so detached uh, from the bedside Mm -hmm. and what's going on in the environment there, you know, and I think maybe these organizations, you know, are are on a much larger scale, just, they just don't know, they just don't know. Mm -hmm.
3: And it's not a priority, I don't think. And I think
1: it should be. Oh, we should. 100% agree.
3: And Nurse family just said on the the tweet chat, Andrew Lopez just said, Beth, we are now seeking out and compiling lists of organizations that nurses can turn to. So it sounds like those organizations are being compiled, and Nurse Friendly is going to have them up on his website. So that's something we'll all keep an eye on over time. So thank you, Nurse thank you, Friendly. Andrew. I know you're listening right now. Oh, yes, thank you, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, that's wonderful. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Beth, I, I just for a second I just wanted to sing your praises for a moment, and we'll get back to the conversation. But I want to take a minute just to praise you. That I'm holding your book, Confident Voices: The Nurse's Guide to Improving Communication and Creating Positive Workplaces, in my hand, and my review of this was uh, posted originally on my blog, Digital Doorway, but it's now up on RNFMRadio.com. It's the first article up on our blog right now, and I just wanted to point out to our readers that this book is really excellent it's available on amazon it's also available from Beth's website i believe and the parts of this book are just wonderful for nurses who really want to understand workplace dynamics relationships the first part is really about workplace dynamics and it really goes deeply into what happens in a workplace in terms of individuals relationships at work Uh, workplaces that need to change when they're toxic. And then it goes into organizational culture. And then parts two and three really go into actual communication skills with excellent real-life examples that you can learn from. And then part three goes into moving from toxic to positive workplaces. So this this book really walks you through the whole process. And, Beth, I really just wanted to offer you my just – my praise for the book, and my hopes for other books and other editions where you mm-hmm. can build upon the work you've done.
4: Well, thank you, Keith. I appreciate your uh, time and attention in reviewing it and, of course, your praise. I hope that is a helpful book to people.
3: It is. It really is. And um, mm-hmm. I propose this, And apropos of um, a nurse I was speaking to recently, what would you say to a nurse who's in a situation where she or he has a very authoritarian nurse manager? How would they handle Mm -hmm. that situation when the manager's not terribly approachable, really a top-down kind of old-world manager? Mm -hmm. How do you approach a manager like that and use your best communication skills? What do you do?
4: Well, I probably work at coaching that nurse through a couple of um, instances of if she, assuming she has a, a concern that, to bring up to the nurse manager and how she might go about doing that in the most assertive, respectful way possible. That's not going to guarantee that it's going to budge the nurse manager. And I will tell you that I, I in fact, I'm working on an article about this issue, the importance of nurse managers, um, role modeling, listening, role modeling, assertiveness. If we're really going to change the culture, um, those people are in pivotal positions to either help make it work or get in the way. And, you know, I think we, we probably can all relate to having some of both. The ones that help are amazing people, Um you know, advocating for time and supplies and staff, and you know, listening to us and respecting us and bringing our concerns up the ladder. Those people are really wonderful people, and yet there are also managers that they have their way, um, what they think is right, and there really isn't room for another person's perspective. It's part of the problem, they can't see other people's perspective necessarily. Um, so. So, I would help her to address it. sometimes we can make change by being respectful, and if that hasn't been respectfully asserted. If that hasn't been tried, it might make a difference. If it doesn't, then I think it becomes an issue of what her comfort level is in staying there. She has learned at least to some extent in the present um what she can expect from this manager and then she can decide for herself, um, how she's going to either cope with it or do something different in any, Mm. either case, it it, it will have an impact on, on the environment. It's just, you know, we lose a lot of good nurses, um, because of what I would call not the best tactics.
0: Right.
4: So it's, like I said before, you know, that experience of trying to take a, be assertive in a situation where there was some obstacles with management and they might have said that part of it but or at least I perceived there were some obstacles, um, it was extremely hard to do.
1: Right. Um, well well actually I was gonna comment on, on an obstacle I think that, that occurs with nurse management. And again, I'm not speaking from experience as a nurse manager here. Um, But certainly someone who's been in other types of businesses where there almost seems to be some role confusion. In a sense, when you step away from the bedside and then you go into this management position and then there's the the people above you, you know, as the org, you know, in the hierarchy sort of, uh, you know, trying to mentor you on how to be a manager. And some of those lines are not very well defined, I don't think. And so I think there is some role confusion there, whereas... I've been in management positions in um, you know, a different environment where I still had, I was still in touch with the people that I was managing because I was still doing a lot of that day to day work. Whereas mm-hmm. nurse managers typically, I mean, a lot of the nurse managers that I had, really, they weren't at the bedside. They were elevated. I mean, in a they were um, doing other things. And mm-hmm. you didn't really see them you didn't there there were no there was no real presence on the unit or on the you know where mm-hmm. I was working mm-hmm. and um you know it's it's not I'm not trying to stick up for them here I'm just trying to say like I, I just wonder if that's that's part of the issue is that role confusion then they step away from the bedside they're learning how to be managers, and
0: sure.
1: you know someone's telling them well hey you've got to be you've got to be firm you've got to be a manager, this is your role now um right and some of them truly do like bedside nursing and, you know, where where are those lines for them that they can just say, like, I'm not, I, you know, they're, they're just not well-defined, I don't think, to be honest.
4: Well, it's, oftentimes it's a dance. I think the two things that are coming up for me as you talk are um, the differences between leadership and management and learning those skills and practicing those skills. And then the other thing is, I mean, because it's, it's a dance, really. Um, uh, it's not necessarily the same dance with each of your staff members. Um, and then there, there, there is the other issue of is senior leadership supporting management and leadership in a way that is supporting staff? You know, is it a, is it a hierarchy from top down, or is it are we trying to look for, is leadership looking for ways of how we can support staff so that staff can do the work that we're here to
0: do so yeah and all
4: sorts of organizational structure issues come into play there um,
1: well so then you just have to have rhythm if you're going to dance that's that's all there is too <laughs> right. you're just going to do the dance just make sure right. nurses out let's there get some rhythm yeah.
4: do the dance
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice nice mm-hmm. <laughs> So I I had a question, Beth. Um, You know, I I wanted to bring the the conversation back to your book a little bit. Um, You discussed this in your book, but I wondered if you could sort of boil this down to a couple of bullet points for us. How do nurses best and most effectively build assertiveness, um, especially if that's not necessarily their nature? And on the other side, how do we build respectful listening skills if that's not in our nature?
4: Practice. We learn the intellectual um, aspects of them, so that you know. I do one of my workshops that I do is um, the I statement challenge. I call it, or some um, manifestation <laughs> of that, um, where I give I I I, I uh, have a lot of examples of non-direct. Inappropriate language, and I ask nurses, I challenge them because I put this in a healthy, assertive um, phrase for me. And there's not one answer; there's a multitude right. of answers. But how can we own? Sure. How can we own our part of a conflict, or our part of a assessment of a problem? and speak from that? You know, right. building self-esteem is, is is just really hard work. Um, it might you might uh, have a friend to help you and self help Therapy can be a great resource if you have somebody that um, that you connect with, um, and and a belief that you deserve it. You know, in my book, I I have reflection questions and discussion questions with the hope of stimulating, you know, personal growth in those areas. areas. Um, right. So, yeah, I guess those those are my quick bullet points. And just know that it's not, you know, you don't just turn on a light and become assertive.
2: <laughs> you know,
4: even in life, Sure, uh, sure. Age, no, When I'm feeling...
2: This can be a lifelong practice for people,
4: yeah. It absolutely is. Um, mm-hmm. I, I If I'm insecure for, for one reason or another, maybe it's hormonal or maybe I had a bad day or maybe I had a fight with somebody or something, but if I'm insecure... Um, it's much more challenging to be assertive than it is on a day that I'm feeling confident and upbeat and safe. You know, it fluctuates to some extent. Just
3: keep um. going forward. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Beth, I'll say That's that true. um, you know, with with some of my coaching clients, because I coach nurses specifically, is that mm-hmm. these sorts of issues do come up, especially communication with authority figures with nurse managers, with especially authoritarian Mm -hmm. (laughs) nurse (laughs) managers. So I think -hmm. this really does come up with nurses so much. And a lot of nurses basically need to learn the skills. They need to know how they can approach someone like this, how they can use nonviolent forms of communication that are effective, that are assertive, and how we can overcome That culturally ingrained sense that conflict is bad that it's bad Mm -hmm. to be in conflict and that it's bad to to question someone or to stand up for oneself Mm -hmm. and I think women have learned this to a large extent in our culture and nurses you know female nurses out there in the healthcare field really need to work against this cultural programming so that they can feel that they can be assertive and not be looked at negatively by their peers
4: Absolutely, mm. and you know the coaching part, as you well know, helps because in a, in, in is is formative it's also a, a place to be supportive of somebody trying out scary new behaviors you know you can come back after and say, "Oh, I tried talking with her, and it was you know this worked or this was really horrible or I was so nervous, and support somebody going through that uh tr- transforming process right That's awesome.
1: I, I wanted to just chime in here just for a sec too and, and kind of talk about that male female piece and um again it, this is my experience as both a nurse and again working outside of healthcare. But you know, I really think um you know we kinda have to get rid of those labels and, and I'm I'm gonna speak for guys, two guys uh for women advocating uh for my fellow uh female colleagues to say that it's interesting when we, when when a debate gets heated or or there's an issue that becomes heated it's um it's as if men are perceived as passionate and women are emotional so <laughs> if there is an if there's a subject that 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 comes up that says okay well um you know i i i just disagree with you doc or nurse or who whomever i'm talking to um, mm-hmm. the, the gentleman must be passionate about this topic, but if a woman brings it up in some way, it's almost as if she's emotional and yeah. and just immediately labeled that that right. way. I think so. Like the little businesses. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm exactly.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, it's unfortunate that occurs. I just I just see that happening in, in the work environment. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah,
4: that would be another great blog piece if you ever want to write about about that. Um, I
3: would love to have a piece from you sure yeah oh, yeah I, th- I think it's I think it's worth writing about, and you know kevin and i i kevin i don 't know i don't want to label you, but i've always considered myself somewhat of a feminist and and as male nurses out there in the healthcare world, we walk an interesting line, and we can actually have a great impact out there based on the ways that we that we approach these types of situations and we can actually model the type of behavior that we would like to see in others, Mm -hmm. especially, say, for male doctors or those who really want to keep nurses subjugated and they see female nurses as, quote unquote, you know, a target for that sort of subjugation. So, you know, there's people like Kevin out there who can actually set an example and, and show how that communication can be done effectively hmm
1: mm-hmm. Okay,
4: it's
1: No, thank you. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. I really do. And, and and it does it comes from a good place and it is very genuine that, that I do respect my female counterpart um uh in in every setting. And so I, I just wanted to put that out there as, you know, speaking from a man to another man, um mm-hmm. with all of your other female counterparts out there, in whatever industry you're you're in. I mean, you know, we, we definitely have to sort of put that to rest, you know, with females being emotional about a, a topic. So well, I'll, uh, you know, Keith, I'll, I'll burn my bra here with you. You know, I'll, I'll be.
2: <laughs> I love you guys. Seriously, I'm the luckiest luckiest in the world to, to work with these two guys. Wouldn't you agree, Beth? <laughs> you yes, I would. This, I love this conversation. I oh, you I love, love it. these guys. They're amazing. You should get them off the air too. They're they're just incredible. Oh, oh. Be careful off
1: the air. You never. It, it just gets wild.
2: It just gets crazy. <laughs> yes, they
1: could. Well, they Nurses could. are
2: really pretty awesome people, all
4: in all. You know, we have our Definitely. difficulties and challenges that we can improve on, but what a cool bunch of people we are, huh?
1: No, oh, well,
0: sure.
4: this sure. we're
1: we're all multidimensional here. I mean, we are multidimensional. There are many layers, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Very cool.
4: When we get to Mm -hmm. be with people during some of their most intimate, challenging um, life issues, you know, Mm -hmm. there is a privilege in the work.
2: There really is. Mm -hmm. Beth, I wanted to to ask you something about, you know, I know we've been doing a lot of talk about communication and conflict and and your book. Um, I wanted to sort of pan the camera back a little bit and Talk about you as a nurse entrepreneur because that's uh, the theme of the show. And I wanted to ask you, you know, if you had the chance to start your nurse entrepreneur career over again and and dive off that diving board from clinical practice into, you know, nurse entrepreneurship, um, what would you do differently? And, and on the same token, what would you keep the same? Well, Anna, you know, so
4: much of my life experience informs my work. I don't know if I could be successful without all the other stuff that's gone on. Sure. Um, you know, I really don't know. Um, it, 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 I probably could have, I just don't know. I don't want to be anyplace else than I am right now. You know, hey, I... Hey,
0: awesome.
4: <laughs> Well... It's like, I, I don't know if any of you have had a chance to see the Interruption Awareness YouTube that I released last month, and if you haven't, please take 12 minutes from time in your busy schedule and watch it, Google Interruption got it. Awareness.
1: Wait, that's on and YouTube, you said?
4: Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And And um, I'm very excited about it. It's got over 3,000 hits um,
2: awesome. out hmm.
4: there. and. Basically, I talk, I have a small group of nurses that volunteered on their time to come to a workshop I call Interruption Awareness, a Nursing Minute for Patient Safety. And we talked, I, most of my workshops, I have a brainstorm session. We talked about, um, you know, what are some problems that happen with interruptions and when do nurses need to concentrate. And then I do this little improv activity called overload where it's a very ex- experiential example of how even a simple thing can um, become difficult when there's all this noise going around. And then I have this really, I think it's almost a little bit funny because it's so damn absurd of a full 60 seconds of what's going on in a nursing minute, and I have a scroll of all all these different things that we're doing, you know, so-and-so's blood pressure's going up, and my back is killing me from moving Mrs. Smith, and Oh, we're out of gauze, and my manager thinks I need time management. So all this stuff is being scrolled while in the background, there's alarms and ringing, and, the, and people are being paged, and it's like really, it's it's almost um, it's, uh, it's almost absurd, but it's so realistic. And so here's here's getting back to your question, Ian, is that I couldn't have done that if right. I didn't. It, I mean, everything that everything has gotten me to the place that I am now. Right. So it's all contributing. All the in fact my son was the uh did the music for it and he he's the one that sent me an email a year ago that brought me to NYU to their they had a forum on public health where I did a workshop on communication and collaboration using theater improv, which was back when I was doing my, you know, emotional intelligence stuff for kids. So anyway I did that workshop and I tried this new activity called the overload and I was in this big theater with about twenty people, theater ed people and healthcare professionals, and I had them do this activity that I'd never done before. And I said, uh-huh. "Oh my God, I've got to do a YouTube on it. It is so remarkable how powerful the experience is when you see it, you can feel it, and I think That's the awesome. awareness." Let me know what you think about it. I think you—you like got it. it. And so. I'm I'm just I'm really proud of that and I'm excited for that because I think it stimulates dialogue around you know, if we're getting interrupted all the time. How can we possibly think clearly after hours after hours of it? So anyway, let me know what you think.
1: And I'm actually um I'm tweeting it out right now, Beth. Uh okay. I well, just awesome, found your channel. You. Great. You got thirty three hundred uh uh views on yeah. that. That's yeah. fantastic. Uh, I uh I, I'm a I'm a big I love YouTube. Um, I I consume, and but I also contribute content. So, um, congratulations on on making your way into uh, YouTube. I think it's a great platform um, for for nurses for everyone really. But it's mm-hmm. great to have you on there. Uh, thank you. I'll right too. Yeah, I'll bring bring out to you. Yeah. Oh yeah, great. I just tweeted it out if you yeah if you retweeted or, or if you've gone to it, Keith. But um. So, getting back to, um, you know, questions about entrepreneurship, Beth, do you have, like, three skills, like, three just top skills that a a nurse needs to be successful as an entrepreneur?
2: Did we lose her? I believe we Hmm. may have lost her. Yep.
1: Uh, are you, okay, we're you, gonna
2: wait for Beth to call back in. It looks like she's dropped off the studio. Oh,
1: okay. yeah, she'll call.
2: She'll yeah, call yeah. Us back yeah I, I, no, She'll
1: call back. I in, thought either no. she
2: was meditating about the answer or <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I wasn't sure, but um, uh, yeah. it looks like she's dropped off. So
1: no, no worries. Great if, that um, if you're
3: listening, and if anyone else would like to call in, it's three four seven three zero eight eight zero six four. Yeah, this is great.
1: Um, no, and I am. I'm looking at her her channel. So uh, hopefully, Beth, I'll I can uh, talk you into putting up more videos here. What and is the
2: name of the channel again?
1: So so anyway, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna put that out there. So okay. uh, all you folks who uh, frequent YouTube or you don't, just check it out. Um, just go to YouTube.com forward slash Beth Boynton, and you'll okay. just find her channel there. And it looks as if um, on her channel she just has two videos there. Uh, and, and, of course, I haven't had the opportunity to check this out because she just told me about it, but I certainly will. Uh, but, like I said, I, we just tweeted it out. And, um, no, it's great to have her out there on YouTube.
2: Very cool, very cool. Okay, she's yeah. not back in the studio just yet, but I'm certain she's trying. Beth, if you're out there, the number, again, is three four seven three zero eight eight zero six four, And we're looking forward to you calling back in. Hey, Keith, if you, for a second, could you talk a little bit more about your uh, review of her book and your impressions from her book?
3: Oh, sure I can. Yeah, I found her book extremely helpful. Um, I've studied communication in the past and nonviolent communication, so I'm familiar with a lot of these um, these concepts. But what I like about her book is that she takes these concepts of, of Communication and clear communication and assertiveness, and really puts them in a healthcare context and mm-hmm. she uses um, she uses very concrete examples based on nurses who she actually spoke with, and she lets you walk through it, see how that person actually did the communication, and then how they might have redone it, you know how it could have been done better and I like how she takes. The first part of the book really focuses on organizational culture and workplace dynamics and really lets you understand what a toxic workplace is and how, and uses theories of human behavior to discuss what happens in the workplace. And then in the second part, it's very concrete building assertiveness skills, building respectful listening skills, and what it says here, I'll just quote, strategies for creating organizational where effective communication and respectful relationships can thrive. And I think Beth is someone who's out there in the world and she's really teaching nurses how to make this happen and how to really make this how to make this for real and how to do where the rubber hits the road, make communication something that we all really focus on. Cuz we focus on our communication with our patients. You know, we want to be clear with right, our patients. Right. <laughs> But Beth is saying that when you have a nurse and a doctor, or a nurse and a nurse, or a group of healthcare providers, the communication has to be just as clear and just as honest and forthright and assertive, but respectful as you would be with your patients. So she paints a great picture of it, and I think she she's really pioneering this for us. And I think every nursing Program out there should have this book for their nurses um, who are studying with them to to become graduate nurses and every um, every nursing unit should have a copy here that nurses mm-hmm. can study together or study individually. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very nice. much um, you know it's interesting if you google healthcare communication programs, they are all about the communication between. Healthcare professionals and the public or the patient. We don't have what I call interprofessional communication. Um, and I, I, I will continue to try to um, get that work into programs, into healthcare administration curriculum, nursing curriculum. Um, so, anyway, thank you so much.
0: Well, you're welcome.
1: So Beth, um, before you dodged my question and and, and hung up on me, you um, know
4: <laughs> <laughs> what's good? I didn't panic because I trusted you guys would handle it, and
2: I oh sure. Oh, we we else. got it handled. Sure. Yeah.
1: Um. I'm glad we got
2: nothing phases us. We're nurses. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Well, one of, one of the questions that that we we like to ask here, and ultimately, it, it sounds like um you know communication is definitely um probably at the top of that list or effective communication. But do you do you have, you know, sort of in your bag in the sense of uh sort of top skills, like three top skills that a, a nurse uh should have uh to become an entrepreneur?
4: To become an entrepreneur. Um, okay.
1: Um, or to be be successful. I mean to be successful as yeah. being an entrepreneur.
4: Well, yeah, let's see. I think um you have to be persistent. Um, you know, committed for the long term So that would be one thing And I guess maybe going along with that Is is a connection to some kind of guiding purpose or vision And then I think collaboration is really key From both, a you know, networking, get the word out Learn from each other's standpoint But also for support for, uh you know, if you're in business by yourself, um, it's really right. great to have others who are sharing, you know, maybe a different purpose that's uh, guiding their business, but the experiences of being an entrepreneur can be shared. I've had a lot of great experiences, especially more recently, and I think that's partly because I'm more open and ready to collaborate, you know. I don't know. Life is funny. Right.
1: Well, it's good to hear you say that Beth. It's it's always nice to hear another uh, nurse out there um you know as an entrepreneur um willing to collaborate. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, mm. I I speak of about collaboration time and time again. Mm. So glad glad to hear you're open for that.
0: Absolutely. Mm. And of
4: course, we'll be more effective collaborators if we're communicating effectively.
3: Well put. You know how <laughs> Very well, yeah. <laughs> Now now, Beth, um before we wrap up, and it's been so wonderful having you on the show and we appreciate you coming back after the break for even more um what projects are you working on right now? Do you have anything new or anything that you're expanding on that you'd like to talk about sure i'm I'm working on this fun uh fun,
4: but it's like dentistry in a way, but this project about a um root cause analysis with this guy bob latino he Uh, is president of a business called Reliability Incorporated and he does these logic tree um, analysis of uh, errors that Mm -hmm.
0: um,
4: are are really interesting and I was on a listserv with him and we got connected by some emails and I found that he's this kind of an engineering type mindset but he's got a real receptivity to understanding the underlying issues and so he has several things out there, some really neat um oh, I guess they're sort of like PowerPoint video things out on examples like there was a case of um, an m r i accident ten years ago where a little boy died in the m r i and and it's a wow. real tragedy um I, Michael columbine, I think is the case, but if you google reliability incorporated MRI, anyway, that his process takes you through um, how to understand all of what contributed to the accident so that it wasn't just one person to blame. And Mm -hmm. so what what I'm doing with Bob is uh, we're analyzing a medication error. So Mm -hmm. um, in its most simplest form, it's like, oh, the nurse gave the wrong medication, um, but as I try to work with him and have this well, like, what is he keeps asking, how did we let this happen? What were the circumstances that we, quote, the organization, um <clears throat> that existed that allowed this or you know, how did what contributed? So it's really interesting for me to like not be defensive and not hide and just try to have everything be as open as possible. I'm working on that with him, so hopefully in the next month or two it'll be a five to ten minutes um Little video thing that will come out. And I'm working okay. on, um, yeah, it's exciting and it's such an interesting process because we think so differently. Um, but where there's trust, we keep moving forward with it. So it's wonderful. Mm. Um, and he really wants to get the right stuff out there. You can just tell that he, he believes that, you know, organizations need to look at the systems, uh, where the system's feeling, not where the Individual nurses family or the doctor mm-hmm. whatever. That's great. Yeah, um, and uh, the course I told you about the uh, professional communication for nurses, I'm, work, I'm working up that, and um, have a, a colleague um, Judy Ringer. She's not a nurse; she's a conflict uh, management specialist and an Aikido master. She her hmm. her organization is called Power and Presence. Power and Presence. And we're developing a. Uh, a course that we're calling it Leading um, Through Change for nurse leaders and what we hope to do is is get a bunch of nurse leaders in the room and then help facilitate their interactions with each other because we believe that there's a lot of wisdom in the room if we can help them um, connect more effectively that that will be a really fun process. Oh, great. Uh, Yeah, so some stuff like that. My blog is pretty new so I'm excited. I, I have a lot of content from a newsletter that i had going for about four years constant voices and now it's a it's a blog so um that's a lot of fun and uh, example of um collaboration uh, Brittany wilson who i'm sure you know the nerdy there sure
0: oh yes of course
4: such a great resource for me um in the blogging world and still continues to be she'll answer a question or um, we had a, a nice phone call where she helped educate me about a lot of things that were extremely helpful in getting that up and running, so I'm very grateful to her um, for that. And I just had a, <clears throat> do you know Pat Iyer? I know you just interviewed Pat Bemis, right?
2: Yeah, we know Pat Iyer.
4: Okay, because she just, yes. uh, I had a uh, an interview with Alan Rosenstein, and he's a physician that specializes in disruptive behavior, and um We did that. I don't know, maybe a year ago, but now that's out and available through her module. So it's me and Dr. Rosenstein talking about bullying, and it's. I I haven't actually listened to it yet, but I think it's exciting that he and I are having that conversation, and um, that we're talking about the differences between physicians and um, nurses, Mm -hmm. disruptive behavior, and uh, pretty. As I recall, it was a pretty interesting conversation. So that's exciting.
3: That's great, Beth. Good stuff, Beth. You you seem, you know, you're an example to all of us. You have your finger in many pots. You have a lot of different things going on. You're you're a writer. You have a YouTube channel. You have a blog. You have your website. You have this incredible book out that so many people can find helpful. And you're really, you have three fans here who feel that (laughs) what you're doing for nurses and communication is very, very important. And I'd like to remind our listeners about your website, which is BethBoynton.com. Boynton Boynton is B-O-Y-N-T-O-N. And then e.com. And that's a mirror to the book. And we just want to thank you so much for being on the show. You've been just wonderful. And anything you have going on, please tweet it out, send it to us, and we'll retweet it and make sure people know about it.
4: Well, thank you so much. I am very grateful for this opportunity. It's, uh, it's just it's just exciting to be talking with other nurses. I think we do have a lot of power, so and it's good stuff. So thank you oh, very yeah. much.
3: Heartfelt
2: thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being thank with
3: you us. Beth. Have a wonderful night. <laughs> you thank bet. you. You
2: guys take care. You, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right.
3: Wow,
1: well, good that was great. You guys,
2: wasn't it?
1: Hmm. Communication. That's I know we did a lot. I mean, that was pretty much the whole show there.
2: I know. That's right. I know. This was great. Um, did we have any? Did we have any nursing or medical news out there we wanted to get to?
1: Um,
3: I had one thing I wanted to mention. Um, uh uh-huh. If our if our listeners don't mind us changing gears a little bit here for a second,
2: we've got um, ten minutes left, man. Roll with it.
3: <laughs> hey, sure. And before I go on, I just once again I wanna thank Beth for being on the show. And I wanna cool. send a shout out to uh nurse friendly Andrew Lopez for the help on the tweet chat and also to uh as the hospital turns, out at in Tweetland, the Hopeful Healer. We've had some great people out there in the Tweet Chat too, so thank you all so much.
2: Thank you guys. Yes,
3: thank you. Yeah. So there was this interesting study done recently, and there was an article on Medscape, and basically the story is that the study showed that 20% of Americans have trouble paying their medical bills. And this information might not be new to a lot of people, but that the burden of medical bills seems to be growing for many Americans and many segments of Americans. And did you all see that study that came out from the CDC?
2: I did um, not, but I have to say that um 20% actually seems low to me. Uh to be honest yeah. with you. I I thing. My gut reaction to that is, "Huh, so low?" <laughs> um I I have a feeling that it's probably in reality a lot higher than that. Um, right. I'd say three out of five instead of one out of five maybe um can't pay right. their, their medical bills. Um, that we have so many not just uninsured but underinsured um, individuals in this country and families in this country that um you know the, the, the medical burden is so high people are either um can't pay for the care, are delaying care or not getting the care altogether. Um mm-hmm. and I think it's mm-hmm. really putting a lot of people at risk.
3: Right, or they're trading. You know, we've heard of elderly people who trade between buying mm-hmm. prescriptions or buying mm-hmm. groceries or paying mm-hmm. their their gas bill or buying prescriptions. You know, right. that it's the same old. Right, my insulin or my groceries. Yeah, exactly. And right. then something else. Something else in this uh, study, it said that children seventeen and under were five more time, five times more likely to live in a family that couldn't pay its medical bills than Americans over the age of 75. So we're seeing more and more children, minors, who are in families who are very hard-pressed to meet their medical bills or even to get the care that they need in the first
2: place. Wow. Wow. That's surprising.
1: Yeah. Well, And there are a lot of programs out there for the kiddos themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. At least here in Colorado, we we do have those programs um, where uh you know and i, I want to say and maybe some of the coloradans will disagree with me um but but i have a, as an advocate there are a lot of great clinics out there a lot of great healthcare providers that are either donating their services um or or the clinics themselves they do get either private funding or state funding um mm-hmm. that that provide a great uh, they're just a great resource to really tap right. into for me to refer my patients out to that just don't have insurance, unfortunately. Sure. They do provide great care, um, so hopefully all of our states will be adopting something like this. I mean, I, I think that that states see that as as cost prohibitive to be able to dump dollars into stuff like that. But if we if we come from it in a way that we're investing in our in our um, you know, our, our, our folks here, I mean, investing in their health, and ultimately, those costs will, will come down dramatically. Um, if if we do that routine maintenance care, and, and someone feels like it'll be paid for, uh, then, of course, compliance will certainly increase, um, and people following up regularly with their, you know, healthcare providers, and we don't have right. so much catastrophe. Exactly. Well, I sure hope so. You know, there's, it just
3: there's so many people out there without insurance or who are underinsured or people who don't have access or even knowledge of those clinics that are out there that that they can access and part of it is just getting the information out there so that they can get the care they need and you know I think preventive care is what a lot of people are lacking because they only end up going in when they need something urgently and I think right. that's a real tragedy
2: right. Well, yeah. guys, we have uh, only about five minutes left, so uh, I see we have a caller. So I just want to make sure we get this caller in before it, the time closes. Let me go ahead and bring. This is actually Andrew Nurse Friendly, who we've been talking about Andrew. all night, and who's been helping us with the tweet chat. Andrew, are you there? I'm um, still so here. Hey, how you doing? You're on the air. Thank you. I just wanted to uh,
5: bring up a couple of points. Thank you for letting me chime in.
0: Sure. Sure. sure.
5: You guys cover so many different topics, and you've got such great guests. No, I know I've really enjoyed Thank Pat you. Bemis and Hunter Signey, Joyce Harrell, and everyone else. Um, I think you guys put on a great show. You keep it lively, you keep it moving, and you have a lot of fans, I hear.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. That means a lot, Andrew. Appreciate that. Appreciate your role in helping us get the word out. You've been really instrumental. Thank you. Can I say a couple of things?
5: Absolutely. The first one was, now I mentioned to Beth how we could prepare oh. nurses, um, student nurses and graduate nurses for what's coming, you know, the horizontal right. violence and the bullying that they'll experience. So we have a really high attrition rate for new nurses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From the time they graduate to one to three years, one out of five, two out of five mm-hmm. nurses are either leaving the field entirely or right. – now going away from the bedside as far as they can go and that's Mm -hmm. not so much a problem right now because as you were just discussing with the economy people are not going to the doctor they're not Mm -hmm. having elective surgeries but we're going to come to a point with the baby boomers who are now turning 60 65 70 they're covered by medicare when they fall and break a hip or a knee they're going to the hospital and ending up in nursing homes, whether they can't afford to pay it or not, right this will go up, we're going to feel and there's a shortage that we all know is here, but we're not feeling because of the economy
2: right mm-hmm. andrew i'm gonna I'm gonna have you uh just go quickly because I'm just going to let you know I'm watching the clock. we got less than three minutes. Gotcha. I won't take up to you. <laughs> so I'm just I'm giving you a heads up, brother.
5: I <laughs> also wanted to keep Amanda Trujillo in mind simply because you. her situation, she was fired for angering a doctor, could happen to anyone. And that right. doctor saw to it that she was fired from her job and that charges were filed against the state board. And as I was hinting before, and we asked Beth about, there are not a lot of resources out there nurses who we feel are being unfairly persecuted or getting a raw deal from their employers. So, going back to NurseUp, which is the website that we put up for Amanda, we're going to extend that to make up a list basically for all 50 states. We're going to contact attorneys and find people who will offer help pro bono and we'm going to put up case studies, examples, the Kennedy nurses, the sunrise nurses
2: right, right. Amanda,
5: and others, and show how they dealt with it. so the next nurse that comes along who's in that situation will know how who was it dealt with before
2: right, right no right. that, that is back. an excellent resource andrew i I really Thank appreciate you, you bringing that to light um yeah so nurseup.com um i'm assuming that's is that that's, that's, that's what we're talking about right nurseup.com okay nurseup.com um going to be the future home of really uh, in many ways a lot of case studies a lot of resources um a real compilation of of uh both information and and resources and case studies on nurse advocacy real nurse in the trend, you know in the trenches nurse advocacy and uh we appreciate all you're doing on behalf of, of not just Amanda Trujillo um but nurses out there who are feeling um that their position may be threatened and um that they cannot advocate for their patients in the way that they would like to um due to being threatened but uh Very we're nice. down to 1 minute so andrew yeah, thank we've got you one minute thank you i will leave it with that and thank you for calling thank you andrew cool. appreciate right you listening and calling in thanks buddy have a good night thank you you too
3: Okay, Anna, who's on the next few weeks?
2: Okay, real quick. Uh, We've got next week, Gwen Dalton, the 19th, CEO and Chief Educator at Pro Hospice Solutions. On the 26th Monday, we've got Michael Pergram, better known as Coach Perg, nursing burnout coaches. All you burnout nurses, listen in. And finally, on April 2nd, Dr. Dean burke MD and author of the book The Millionaire Nurse. If you want to make a little more money, save a little more money, listen in to Dr. Burke. And uh, Signing off until next week, that's it for us. Thank you, guys.
1: Thanks to everyone. Thank you. Night. Good night. night. Thanks for listening to RN.FM Radio. Nursing Unleashed. Signing off until next Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern.